Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are in a sermon series called A Month on Mission, and we've been looking at how do you and I practically live out our Christian faith in just kind of our day-to-day. So how can we be on mission with eyes to see opportunities to be a part of what God is doing in the community around us? How can we be of use and to partner with that? And this morning, we're going to look at the power of what I would call kingdom conversations. Kingdom conversations. Now, I would say that uh, we're all familiar with regular conversations, right? Earthly conversations, human interactions. But there's a way to take our conversations and to move them from just kind of talking about uh, what is and to move it to a place where we are having kingdom conversations. I'm going to give you an example of that. We're going to talk about how to do that in our lives as well. So a ministry friend of mine is a chaplain out of the Department of Corrections. And so he, uh, he volunteers out there, does ministry out there. And uh, about a week ago, an inmate came into his office, and this inmate was distraught. He had recently lost a family member. He was incredibly distraught, uh, and he, he uh, wasn't dealing with it very well. He was going through a, a difficulty with that. Trying to process it, he, he was not at peace, and his life was just kind of in upheaval. And so he came in to my friend's office, but as he came in, he, he told my friend this. He said, hey, I'm not sure I should talk to you. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here. Um, I, I, I'm a Muslim, and I've been, I've been trying to deal with this, but, but I really need somebody to talk to. Would it, would it be okay if we talked? And so, of course, my friend said yes and invited that conversation, and the man just began to share the burden of his heart and just his grief and uh, just the, the depth of the disruption in his life that was caused by that grief. And after listening to the man uh, and, and listening to his story, my friend, he, re- he responded in this way. He said, it, it sounds to me, like as you've described what you're going through, that the way that you're trying to relate to God is not bringing you peace. And the holy writings that you are pursuing are not providing you peace. And that those who would be your brothers in faith are not able to offer you peace. He said, would it be okay if I asked Jesus Christ to give you peace? The man said yes, and they began to pray, and we'll visit the rest of the story towards the end of our time this morning, but I share that with you because it gives a good picture of a kingdom conversation. Jesus was a master of what I would call kingdom conversations. He repeatedly would move just a regular conversation about nothing in particular towards a godly truth, and then he would create an opportunity for people to respond. If you think about a lot of his parables, a lot of the storytelling he did, he, he would take something kind of normative for the time, and he would talk about a merchant, or he would talk about uh, a woman who lost her coins, or he would talk about a shepherd. He would talk about just kind of normal, everyday things, 
And then as he would tell his story, or as, as he would entertain his conversation, he would move it from just talking about nothing to talking about something of deep kingdom substance. And he would offer a new kingdom truth, and then he would invite people to respond to that in some type of way. And if you and I, as we close out our series, live a month on mission, if we're going to live a life on mission intentionally being a part of the things that God is doing, not just around us, but through our lives and being a part of inviting other people to enjoy the benefits of a life following Christ, kingdom conversations are going to be a part of that. We're going to have to have kingdom conversations. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at a specific conversation that Jesus had, one of many, of course, but I want to look at answering how can we have kingdom conversations, right? How, how can we do that? Because I think that if we all sat down around a table and said, hey, do you think it's important to be able to have a conversation with somebody and to move it towards a spiritual truth and then to offer them an opportunity to connect with God as a result, we would all probably intuitively say yes, even if we didn't really know what that meant, but we were with other church folks and it sounds like we should say yes to that. But then if we said, so how do we do that? I, I don't know. Like, is it modeled? Are, are, are there ways for us to go about doing this? And I think that looking at Jesus and the way that he interacted with people is a great way for us to answer this for ourselves. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Go ahead and raise it up. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, you can go ahead and open up your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, you can download it now before we get done even praying. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts today to hear from you. Lord, that you would give us hope-filled hearts. Lord, a, a, a hope-filled heart that believes that you could use us in this way. Lord, many of us already feel disqualified. Lord, many of us all, already feel as if we don't have much to offer you. Would you give us eyes to see how we could partner with you in having conversations of substance that lead people to opportunities to enjoy the benefits of your salvation? Give us those soft hearts and give us the courage to follow them. In Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 4. That's going to be where we're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning. I would encourage you on your own this week to read the whole of the chapter. We're going to be looking at a specific conversation and pulling some pieces out to help answer our question, how can I have kingdom conversations, but we're not going to be able to go through the whole of all of the detail. And for full context, I would encourage you to just read the chapter on your own. And the reason why we're going to the gospel of John is because the gospel of John is actually built around a number of conversations that Jesus had. In fact, a few years ago in our equipping hub, uh, one of the square classes that we offered was a square class called Conversations with Jesus. And what we did is we actually unpacked these conversations in the book of John, where Jesus was kind of having these one-on-one -on -one conversations recorded in scripture and what was coming out of those. In chapter three, you have the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And here in chapter four, you have a conversation recorded between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. She's often referred to as the woman at the well, because that is the location that the conversation takes place. And so we're going to look at this specific conversation, one of many, but we're going to look at this one and we're going to find five ways to answer this question. How can I have kingdom conversations today? So if you're a note taker and you like things to go right in order, there's going to be five of them. Keep track and you'll know as we progress whether we're getting close to the end 
or not. Well, we're going to pick up in John chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 4. We're going to just read verse 4 through 8, and then we're going to pull number 1 out of that, and we're going to proceed through the chapter, uh, pulling out our 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Uh, And I would just invite you to journey with me through that. So starting in John chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Now he, and that he is Jesus along with his disciples, had to go through Samaria. So he came down, or so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then John uh, gives us a parenthetical statement, letting us know kind of why Jesus was by himself. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And so he sets the stage here. Now, it's important to note that this was at Jacob's well. Like, why would the writer put that there? It's going to play into some of the dynamic in the conversation in just a little bit. But in particular, there's the first answer or the first principle or the first characteristic of a kingdom conversation that we're going to glean from this. And it comes with the first phrase where it says, and now he had to go through Samaria. And I want to sit on that for just a moment because the way that it's phrased and the way that you and I would read this would be like Jesus went through this route or went this way because there was no other way available. Uh, and, and you might be familiar a little bit with the area or with the geography. There was actually another route. It was much longer. And if you were an Orthodox Jew and if you were trying to maintain righteousness, you wouldn't have actually gone to Samaria at all. Anybody with a, kind of an upstanding Orthodoxy would have gone around it. They would have taken the long route. They would have made their travel longer, but they would have made it uh, more correct culturally. And so Jesus doesn't do that. He goes through Samaria. Now, you might think that there was no other route. No, there was. There was at least one longer route. You might think that maybe he was pressed for time and he took the short route because he had to get somewhere quickly. But you don't see that in Scripture. There is a reason why he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria to have this conversation. And this is really, really important that, that this now he had to go through Samaria wasn't because of travel restrictions or time restrictions. He had to go there because this conversation needed to happen. And what you get is number one on how to have king, uh, kingdom conversations. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write this down. And this is number one. You need to meet people where they are. You need to meet people where they are. This was a divine appointment. This was something that Jesus knew was going to be orchestrated. He went there purposely, intentionally. It's why he was at the well at the middle of the day, at the noon hour, at the hottest part of the day. It was why he was there alone. This conversation was something that needed to happen. You have to meet people where they are. And I just want to encourage you, for you and I, that means that we need to have eyes to see opportunities to be participating the things of God's kingdom other than Sunday morning, other than just kind of coming to church and getting filled up and getting patted on the back and you can make it through kind of a crappy world for one more week and then next week, hopefully, you can come back and get another little 
pick me up, that that's not a life of purpose, that's not living out any dynamic demonstration of the power of kingdom of God, that's just kind of shuffling your feet and kicking rocks through the week and hoping you can make it to the end of it, and that uh, if, if we would have eyes to see, this is an opportunity to have the Lord infill us so that we could go out and be useful to him for the next six days, that we would go impact the world around us on purpose because we're going with purpose, then we would begin to see people and meet them where they are. Many, uh, uh, many, many followers of Christ are waiting for people to make their way to church in order to somehow impact their life. And I will tell you that if you're just waiting for people to somehow show up at church and then God's gonna use you to be uh, of benefit to their life, then you're gonna miss the majority of the kingdom opportunities that God has for you because the majority of the plans and purposes that God has for you are gonna be expressed out in a world that is in deeply, uh, in, in deep need of the hope of Jesus Christ. And this would be a place that we would encourage one another and get filled up, but then we would go and we would make a difference in the world around us. The church needs to make their way to people. And that's what you see in Jesus. That's what you see demonstrated in him. In fact, Jesus didn't really ever have a home base. There's a couple places that he stayed for a, a duration of time and kind of acted like a home base for a little bit, but he was constantly moving. He was always itinerant. In fact, he would have would-be disciples who would come to him and they would basically ask the question, hey, where is your school? Where is your place of residence? We're coming to learn from you. And he would say, no, I'm always on the move. I'm the place that you're called to go with me. And so we need to be willing to meet people where they are, that Jesus invites us to come and to follow him, but then he commands us to go and to do the things of the kingdom of God. And so we go and meet people where they are, and that can be really uncomfortable. In fact, it's mostly uncomfortable because we uh, have, have a tendency to want people to be gathered in, in one place. And I don't know about you, does anybody have a Walmart disguise? When you actually have to go inside, when you can't do the Walmart pickup and you gotta get in and you know somebody's gonna wanna talk to you, it's like some of you do. Like I've got a Walmart disguise, I put on my flat brim hat, I put my sunglasses on and people they're just thinking that I'm just like super young and cool, that's what I'm assuming, I'm hoping. <laughs> but it's like my in disguise where I'm just like, I just gotta get in and get some cereal and get out. Right, but many of us, like the, the way that we go about following Christ, a lot of times we've got like this incognito to our Christianity. Where instead of looking for opportunities to be used by God, we just wanna kinda get into a place and get out of a place and just kinda get on with our way. But kingdom opportunities that God's gonna have for you are gonna be in those places. And so we've gotta have a willingness to meet people where they are. That means in location, that, all, that also means where, where they're at in their life. If you're gonna offer somebody hope in Christ, then you've gotta find them in hopeless situations. If you're gonna offer them healing in Christ, you've gotta be willing to, to enter into their brokenness. Like we've gotta go and meet people where they are. We see Jesus do that here. And so I would encourage you, that's number one maybe for this week for you. Now, if you move on in the story, you get to verse nine. So Jesus is there. There's this divine appointment. He's gonna have this interaction with her, he initiates the conversation because she, he is where she is going to be. He's in her context and he invites her into an interaction there. That's gonna be something that is important. And so verse nine says this, the, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. 
how can you ask me for a drink? So she actually even challenges this interaction. Like, like, why would you even talk to me? This isn't right. And then John gives us another parenthetical statement saying for Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. He's not assuming that you would know that there's a deep cultural divide here. And so he provides that for us, but she's aware of that. So, hey, you're not supposed to be here, and you're certainly not supposed to talk to me. Why, why, why would you initiate this? And what I want you to recognize here is she is already, she is already accustomed to being rejected. And can I, can I tell you something? You, you are as well. You're already accustomed to being rejected. You've already been rejected in interactions with people. You've been overlooked. You've been mistreated. You've been offended. That, that's what the world has exacted on us. And, and to varying degrees, certainly. And there's no need to compare us side by side. But you and I... You and I know how it feels to be rejected. And to have an expectation of being rejected. And then we also know the skepticism of when it doesn't happen. Right? Have you ever had an interaction with somebody where you were expecting them to reject you, expecting them to treat you in one way, but somehow they, they showed a kindness? Although they showed an acceptance and you were not uh, ready to embrace that, but you were made even maybe more alert. Like, hey, what's the angle here? See, we're conditioned towards that. And so Jesus initiates a conversation or invites her into an interaction and she's skeptical. And she even calls out the reason why it shouldn't be happening. You should be rejecting me and I should be rejecting you. Aren't you aware of that? And a kingdom conversation is gonna happen when we're willing to go and meet people where they are, but it's also gonna take us to accept them as they are in that moment that we accept them as they are in that moment. You and I are accustomed to rejection. The people that you interact with will already be accustomed to being rejected. Listen, surprise them with grace. Even draw their skepticism at the grace that you extend until it is proven real and has value to them. Surprise them with grace. Many people's journey of faith begins with friendship. The stats say upwards of 80% and higher of individuals who choose to receive Jesus as, salva as, as their salvation are led to that point by a friend or a family member who has journeyed with them. It's not an argument. It's not a theological debate. It's not a class on doctrine. It's a life that is shared and a journey that's shared together that leads them to that truth. And the Apostle Paul, this is the way that he approached reaching people. He would meet them where they were. He would accept them as they are. And then he would relate to them in that space. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as he kind of talks about the scope of his ministry and the way that he went about doing all of this, he gives kind of the reasoning for his ability to just kind of be adaptable to where people were and how they were in order to reach them. He says this, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, 
I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And so there's this, this humility in this approach. I'm going to make myself less than and make you more than so that I can reach you for the gospel. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, we could make a mistake in reading this to somehow assume that Paul was like a chameleon, that he was hypocritical, that he was somehow just kind of playing a game, and that's not what he's saying. And in fact, if you read about his life and ministry, and if you read his letters, he was absolutely uncompromising on the things of faith. But he was willing to meet people wherever they were, to accept them as they are and to begin to engage them in that place in order to pursue relationship to lead them to hope in Jesus. And you and I, we know what it looks like to create relationship, right? We, we know what it means to kind of pursue and make adjustments to see that happen. And those of you who are married, you might think back to, to when you were dating and some of the things that you were suddenly interested in all of a sudden because you were interested in that person who was interested in those things, right? There was a, a time early on in our marriage where my wife could talk a lot about English Premier League soccer players. She could talk about stats and the teams that they were on and this and that. Guess what? Those days are long gone because I'm caught and she has me. She doesn't have to be interested in those anymore. I have to be interested in other things now. That's the way those things work. Like you, you understand how to pursue a relationship with somebody by shared interest and by, by meeting them where they are. And if you move it out of kind of the idea of, 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 of a romantic relationship, that's what Paul is saying here. That when I met somebody who was Jewish, then I engaged them in that context and in that way and with that vocabulary and that worldview in order to lead them to hope in Jesus, one who was not, I approached in a different type of way. And so we meet people where they are and we accept them as they are. We see Paul's example of that in that passage, but we also see Jesus doing that on so many occasions, not just this one. Go and read through the rest of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just take note of how many times Jesus went and met somebody in their mess and accepted them in that way and then brought the transformation after the invitation. So we meet people where they are, we accept them as they are. And now I'm gonna give you kind of number three, and that is to start with what they know. If you're a note taker, just write this down, it's gonna make a little bit of sense in a moment, but start with what they know and then introduce a godly truth. See, Jesus did that all the time. Jesus did that all the time. He would start with what people knew and understood, oftentimes in just kind of a normal conversation, and then he would move it towards a, a godly truth. So he would talk about a shepherd, and he would tell a story there, and then he would talk about the good shepherd and move it into a framework for understanding who God is and the way that he 
relates to us. He was constantly moving in that way. He would start with what they knew, and then he would introduce a new truth. If you read chapter 4 on its own, there's two times that Jesus does this in this context. One is as the woman responds to his invitation uh, uh, um, to, to have him provide water for her life. So if you were to continue on past verse 9, what you would find is she says, hey, you're a, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we shouldn't be having this conversation. And, the, and he, she says, why, why would you ask me for a drink? And then he spins it. He takes that conversation, he moves it somewhere else. And he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And you would never thirst again. So he moved it from this type of uh, just a, a watering hole at the well to a spiritual conversation. And as they go back and forth, she brings up the fact that they're at Jacob's well. She, she goes back to what she knows. She knows that this is Jacob's well, that this is where God provided for him. She kind of starts into a theological thought here because that's all that she would have known what to do with. The Samaritans only understood the scriptures as being the first five books of the Bible. That was one of the reasons why the Jews and the Samaritans were at odds. The Samaritans said that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that that is the whole of scripture. And they discounted Psalms and Proverbs and all of the prophets. They just kind of threw all of that away. And so that was one of the divisive problems between them. And so she goes to what she knows and she starts dealing with it in that way. And then Jesus begins to say, hey, if, if you would come and drink from me, you would have new life. You would live eternally. And what he starts to mirror is language that comes from Isaiah, from one of the prophetic books that she would not have listened to, that she would have discounted altogether if he said, well, in the scroll of Isaiah, it says this, boom, that conversation is over. But he gives the truth really without the reference. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, it says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen, that you will live. Much of the way that Jesus responds to her question comes out of this, but he doesn't hit her with a chapter and verse. He doesn't create a divisive argument. He offers the truth. A little bit later, as he begins to interact with her personal life, and she gets uncomfortable with that, and those of you who are about, and those of you interested, you can read chapter four on your own. But as she's trying to get out of that uncomfortable conversation, she goes to kind of this, uh, 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 another um, difficulty with the way that they were worshiping. And he says, she says, well, we worship on this mountain, you worship on that mountain, who's right is basically what she brings. She brings what she knows. There's a divisiveness here. She actually tries to draw a line in the sand to get out of the conversation because if she can draw this line, certainly he's going to dispute it and the conversation is going to be over. And one of the things that's interesting is the way that Jesus responds. He says, believe me, woman, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said both of those answers are wrong. She would have never expected that type of an answer. She was inviting a theological debate. Down. And Jesus said both of those answers are wrong. Wait, what? She would have never expected a Jew to say that you weren't to worship in Jerusalem. That was revolution. Like, what is that about? It's because he offered a different truth about who God is and how he accepts worship. And it moves on to that classic verse that many of you could quote, that the worship that the Father is looking for is worship in spirit and in 
truth with what they knew. And then he would move it. He would move it to a spiritual truth that touched a need that they had in their life, something that they were looking for, something that answered a need in their life. In Matthew chapter five, I'd encourage you to just go ahead and read um, the Sermon on the Mount on your own. But in Matthew chapter five, verse 21, 27, 33, 38, 43, go back and listen to it on the recording if you want to write all of that down. But in each one of those verses, Jesus begins a conversation as he's teaching and he begins with this. He says, you have heard it said... And then he gives an agreed upon doctrinal statement or an agreed upon truth or an agreed upon normative way that culture was supposed to work. And after saying that, then he would go on and say, but I tell you, and he would move the conversation to a deeper spiritual truth. Kingdom conversations will begin when we meet people where they are and they will start as we accept them as they are. And then they will begin to move forward if we will start with what people know and introduce them to a truth about who God is. And so you see that kind of moving forward there. There was a young man who came through Sterling a number of years ago. um, And when he got to church, he was excited about worship. He was excited about being here and a part of what was going on. He was pretty demonstrative and exuberant in worship. I mean, he had some energy going. And we started having conversations and he was, very, um, he, he, he was very sincere in his desire to pursue a right relationship with God, but his ideas were informed from everywhere at once. It was just an amalgamation of different ideas and perspectives. It was, it was really more new agey than, than Christ-centered at all. But he was, he was doing his very best and earnest pursuit of the things of God. In fact, he was just kind of traveling through Sterling and on his way to other places because he was just kind of looking is how he described it. And I ended up going to lunch with him one day. We just went to lunch and we sat down and I just let him talk and I just let him ask questions. And as he would kind of take a, a, a biblical truth and then kind of add on some extra stuff that really didn't line up and really didn't help him zero in on the truth, but was entertaining this idea that there's really a lot of different ways to just kind of figure this out. What I would do is I would just kind of coach in that conversation. And what he really knew a lot of is he knew a lot about the life of Moses and the life of Abraham. And so we would just kind of go back to scripture and say, well, well, I, I understand how you're getting this concept, but, but that doesn't seem to line up with this part of Abraham's life. And we would read that together and he would make that discovery. And he'd say, oh man, you're right. I, re- I need to go back and think about this. And we had several con- uh, conversations like that until he was just going to kind of move out and he, he went on his way. And those conversations happen because of a willingness to meet him in that place and to just kind of give some instruction and some correction and some direction, not trying to force, not trying to chapter and verse, not trying to somehow convince or argue into some type of response. And I don't know where he is or what's going on in his life, but I know that he went away better for having spent time here because of the way that he was able to be coached and encouraged, zeroing in more on a center of Christ than what he had before he got here. You start with what somebody knows and you begin to move them forward or closer on the things that are true of scripture. In verse 28, you see the response of the woman. 
So as she finishes this conversation with Jesus that's been wholly uncomfortable, he gets to this place where she says, well, when the Messiah gets here, he's going to figure all of this stuff out. So she's just trying to kind of duck out. And he says, guess what? It's me. Now, that's a paraphrase. It doesn't say, guess what, in your Bible. But if I wrote it, I would have been like, guess what? Surprise, like that. That's how I would have done it. I would not have been a very good savior. So, But he, he says, I, I, the, the, the Messiah is speaking to you. It's me, lady. And she responds to that. Look at verse 28. It says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. See, at this point in the message, as we're talking about meeting people where they are, accepting them as they are, starting with what they know and kind of moving that conversation towards a, a biblical truth, Now we're at the place where you and I start to kind of squirm and try to find a way for us to disqualify ourselves. And a lot of times this is what we land on. I don't know, dot, dot, dot. I don't know, dot, dot, dot. I've used that. I've heard that many, many times. And whatever comes after the dot, dot, dot is always my excuse. It's always our excuse to not do what we're being invited to participate in. It's our reasoning for not having to maybe take that step of faith or do the hard thing. But what you find with this woman is she has this random conversation with Jesus. He says, guess what? I'm the Messiah. And at that, she goes back to her village, says, this guy just told me he's the Messiah. I think he might be right. What do you guys think? And they all come out to investigate. Kingdom conversations. Meet people where they are accept them as they are, start with what they know, but also what you know is enough to start. She didn't know very much. She knew that Jesus had spoken directly to the need in her life, moved the conversation from water at the well to meeting spiritual needs, and knew that he had said that he was the Messiah. And that was enough for her to go and invite others to journey with her. What you know is enough to start. You may not know very much, You may be just kind of starting this church thing, but you know enough to know what motivated you here. You know enough to know how you have connected with the Lord in worship. You know enough to know why you've ever come back. You know enough to know to say, there's something moving in my life that's making a difference. Maybe that could help you as well. What you know is enough to start. And I love that she goes, poses this question, invites people to Jesus and they come, but what is implied in scripture is that she came too. Let's look into this together. And that's a great way to have a kingdom conversation, especially about things that you're not really sure of, that you're still learning and growing and you should all be learning and growing. We should all be continuing in that place to have a a, a learning type of attitude. You don't have to have all the answers. Just go discover the answers together. Invite somebody to learn and grow with you, to go with you. Let's look into this together. I love that about her story. What you know is enough to start. And then let's look at the result, verses 41 and 42. And because of his words, so not because of hers, her invitation brought people to him. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior 
of the world. A kingdom conversation will move along in such a way that you are not responsible for the results, but you introduce somebody to Jesus. And can I tell you that nobody meets Jesus and is not changed. They're forever marked by their interaction with him. And even those in scripture who you see overtly reject him and ultimately say, no, I don't want that, they're still never the same for the interaction that they had. Jesus will make a difference in the lives of those who he is introduced to. He always does. Meet people where they are, accept them as they are, start with what you know or what they know. What you know is enough to start and trust that Jesus is gonna make the difference. He'll, He'll make the difference. He'll make a difference in people's lives. When my friend prayed with that inmate, he simply petitioned Jesus to provide peace for his heart and for his mind. It was a simple prayer that he would experience peace. And as my friend was praying for this gentleman, he began to weep. He had already been teary-eyed and he had already been distraught because of grief, but he, he began to weep, like runny nose weep. So much so that my friend was concerned for him, was just like, are, are you okay? Like, like, are you okay? Do you need me to stop? Like, what's going on? And the man, through tears in his eyes, he says, I have never felt peace like this before. I, I don't know what's happening, but I've never felt this way before. I, I need this Jesus. And so the conversation went from moving, from praying for this man to experience peace, to praying for this man to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And as that uh, time of prayer ended, and as they were kind of getting ready to part ways, the man said, hey, before I go, can you get my card? Can you get my card from the file? I need, it. I need it right now. Like, can you get that? Do you have access to that? And so my friend said, yes. And, and those in the system or those who have been a part of that environment would know what this card is. But everybody inside has a card that designates their religious affiliation. And the man asked my friend to go and to retrieve his card. And, and he took that card and he, he crossed out Muslim and he indicated that he was now a Christian and said, I'm, I'm following Jesus. Kingdom conversations will move towards general conversions, not because of arguments, not because of doctrinal or theological points, but because a conversation invites enough relationship for being introduced to Jesus and the spirit of God will do the rest. If you'll be willing to meet with people where they are this week and to accept them as they are and then to just start with what is known and move it towards a truth about who God is, you can trust that his spirit will do the rest. And it might not all happen at once, but it will start a journey that will move towards fruit in that person's life. Church family, I want to invite you to stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. I'm gonna ask you, church family, just to bow your heads and I'm gonna pray for you this morning as our time of response. Lord, we come before you. And Lord, I, I pray for each heart here. 
Lord, that first, before they think about meeting people where they are, that they would recognize that you meet them in this moment. Lord, that right here, wherever they are, whether they feel like they've got it together or whether they feel broken, Lord, whether they feel like they're full of hope and faith or whether they are dealing with hopelessness, plagued by doubt, Lord, that whatever condition we would be in this moment, you meet us here and you offer to make a difference, that you accept us as we are and that you're willing to bear our burdens and to bring change in our life. Reach heart here, Lord. May they know that first and foremost. Before we can give hope to others, we have to have received hope. Lord, we can't give what we don't have. And so, Lord, start with us. Meet each heart here, accept them as they are, and bring the change that is needed for them to experience your new life. And Lord, as we recognize that, as we receive that, as we begin to live into that, help us to move in that way too. Give us eyes to see people who are in need of the encouragement that we can offer in Christ. Give us a willingness to meet them wherever they are, in whatever condition they are, to step into their world and to by all means necessary, encourage them towards life in Christ. Lord, forgive us for the times where we would look to disqualify ourselves out of convenience, saying that we just, we don't know enough as if it's left up to us and what we know. Lord, give us a faith that believes that if we would take the step, that you would do the rest. And Jesus, we ask that we would see lives changed this week. That in our workplace and in our home, in our interactions in the public, in the testimonies that would come in from online, Lord, that we would hear of your move in people's lives and change being done. Give us a courageous faith to walk this out this week, to seek out kingdom conversations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we go out this week, I've got some action steps for you. You can snap a picture with your smartphone or tablet, or you can catch these online later as well. But as you look to have kingdom conversations this week, look to meet people where they are. So have eyes when you're out and about. Number two, accept people as they are. Trust that Jesus is going to make the difference. And then number three, offer the hope that you have found in Jesus to them.